0: Hi, Pathway family, and welcome to church. We're so excited that, well, 2020 is gone and 2021 is here. And so we wanted to welcome in the new year by doing communion with you guys. And really, it was a conversation that Pastor Rob and I had where we wanted this to be more of a kind of a chat, a conversation. And as much as we can't have a conversation through a, through a computer screen or a television screen, we, we want to do our best to just have an impromptu teaching about communion and, and why it matters and why we do it and kind of the emotions that we have as Christians, as well as just us personally, in this idea of taking communion together. And so we were thinking about it and really it all goes back to blood for us. And as as weird as that sounds, and as gross as that sounds to some of you guys, really blood is so important in what we do as in communion, as well as just God's plan for forgiveness of sins. And so I'm actually going to start and take you all the way back to Leviticus, and some of you guys may know that Leviticus is my favorite book of the Bible. Um, and in that, one of the reasons is because we see so much example, so many examples of why sacrifices are important, what they do, why they matter, and and just what how they precursor to who Jesus Christ is and how he fulfilled so much of, well, the entirety of the Old Testament. And so if you guys wouldn't mind turning in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16, we're going to start by talking about the Day of Atonement and that's a big day, and we'll go into all of that stuff. But but we're going to talk about the Day of Atonement in chapter 16 of Leviticus. Uh, as, as Pastor Rob likes to say, if you don't know where Leviticus is, that's okay. At the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. Don't be afraid to use it. So once you find Leviticus chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to read just a few verses about what was going on in the Day of Atonement. Now, this is not all-encompassing, so I encourage you guys to read through the entire chapter to really get an idea of what's going on here. But these verses are verses that are very important to what I wanted to talk about today. So let's read in uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 11 of Leviticus. Says, And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, uh, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Don't worry, it may not sound like all of that makes sense, but we're gonna talk about all of it in just a minute. Let's pray before we get involved anymore. Lord, we thank you so much for, well, ultimately your sacrifice, and Lord, we thank you that you had a plan to forgive us of our sins. Lord, to take us from a complete... uh, detrimental state and into a state of life and, and Lord, into a state of unity with you. And we thank you for that. As we talk about this today, I pray that you would just have your hand on this conversation and that we would be encouraged by what you have to say to us and what you have to teach to us today. We love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. Okay guys, so there's a lot going on here. The Day of Atonement, just really quickly, was one day a year that happened every single year with the Jews as they were going through uh, their exodus as well as while they were in the temple. And they, they would go through and this one Day of Atonement was a day where the entire sins of the people would be covered up and forgiven by God for the calendar year, essentially. So he would have them do it once a year so that it was a renewing of a process. And you would have inside of the Holy of Holies, you would have the Ark of the Covenant, and the high priest would go inside of there with his incense and with the blood, and he would actually um, pour out and, and make, make this sin offering uh, to God, and he would pour out the blood of the sin offering onto the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And so I wanted to talk to you guys about why that's important as well as this the symbolism behind it. And so, so why is blood so important? Well, it's so important because blood is what gives us life. And so life is so important to God. As, as all of us know, life is what we have. That's all that we have to give. Our lives is all that we have to give to God that he wants. He wants our entire being, and so the the idea of us cleansing or him cleansing our sins, him forgiving our sins, is found in the blood. And so he he put it so that a blood sacrifice was required for forgiveness of sins. Now, back in the Old Testament, it was it was animals and sacri- sacrificing bulls and and goats and sheep and things like that uh, to cover up the sins, but they were they were never washed away. So we're going to get to that in a little bit but I wanted to talk mostly about the symbolism behind pouring out this blood on the mercy seat. So really neat if you guys get the idea of the Ark of the Covenant, and and some of you guys might have an imagery from Indiana Jones or something like that, but what the Ark of the Covenant had was two um, angels on the top of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, and in between, these two angels was a flat surface called the mercy seat. And so these angels, their, their wings would come out and they were kind of sitting like this. Uh, their wings would come out and just barely almost touch in the middle of the, in the, middle of the mercy seat there. And, and the idea is, and there's some different artist renderings that you can look up online, things like that. But the idea of that, they called that area in between the wings of the angels, the Shekinah glory of God. And what that was is that was the dwelling place of God. So during the Day of Atonement, the idea is is that God comes down and he looks down on the mercy seat and he looks down on the sins of the people uh, that are written out, if you will, on that mercy seat. There he sees it all because it's pure gold. And so what the priest's job was do, to do was to come in and to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and the idea is is the blood covering the mercy seat made it so that God wouldn't would not be able to see their sins if you guys can see the symbolism behind that you see this idea of God uh, it's it's forgiveness for sure. It's not just him being like, oh, what just happened to the sins, but it's but it's the idea that he he because of the blood he can't see the sins, and so so there's an idea though that that is repetitive. It keeps happening year after year, and the the priest would come in and. I'm sure you guys have heard it said where he'd, they'd tie a rope around his waist and he'd have bells on his on the fringes of his robe. And if those little bells stopped jingling, the guys outside of the Holy of Holies knew that that guy was dead. So they'd pull his body out. And it, this is a very serious thing that was taking place in the Old Testament. And he would do this. And obviously, there, we could go into the numerology. We could go into all of that. We don't have time for it. But I really want you guys to get the idea of the importance of this, that God was covering the the priest was covering the sins of the people for a year. Now, the idea behind covering, I'm using that word very intentionally right now because covering is the best that these animal sacrifices could do. They would sacrifice the animal, and it was a pure animal, but the blood of the animal could only cover their sins. Now, Pastor Rob is going to be talking about the fulfillment of that and how All of the Day of Atonement and all that happened during this time was actually dealt with in the person of Jesus Christ. It was all, the blood of his sacrifice was actually able to completely do away with those sins. So right now we're going to have Pastor Rob join us and he's going to explain better how Jesus Christ fulfills the Day of Atonement with his blood sacrifice.
1: So, what is the ability of the atonement? In other words, what can it do? What, the, what is this shedding of blood actually able to accomplish? It brings us to our most important feature of the atonement. Pastor Andrew was telling you kind of what the atonement um, sacrifice really was, but the most important feature of the atonement, especially as we're talking, about moving into the New Testament and understanding atonement a little bit more, is that it actually has the ability to remove sin by the shedding of blood. Here's what I mean. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14 say this. The blood of the goats and the bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And so the contrast here is that the animal sacrifice is clean on the outside, but that Jesus' sacrifice is actually clean on the inside and the outside. It's all-encompassing. It's complete. And so there is the important feature here that gets talked about is actually the full removal of sin. And the use of blood is emphasized again in verses 19 to 22. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no, ready, forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so the question you may want to ask is, how does blood cleanse a sinner and, and make an atonement for their sins? Like To find the answer, I think actually we really have to go further back in time, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Now, for a lot of you, and myself included, this is a fairly familiar story. But there's something that takes place within the context of the story that kind of sets the scene for uh, the value of blood. Here's what I mean. In verse 9, it says, The Lord said to Cain, remember Cain, the firstborn son of uh, Adam and Eve, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am by my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me, From the ground. Now, what just happened previous to this is that uh, Cain brought a sacrifice to the Lord. Abel brought a sacrifice to the Lord, and Cain's sacrifice wasn't accepted. And there was some kind of conflict between uh, Cain and Abel that caused Cain, well, to kill his brother. And we're not told exactly what the conflict was. We just know that Cain raged against his brother, and he took his brother's life. And so, in this particular passage, God here says that the blood was shed when Cain killed. Abel, and Abel, uh, his blood cried out to the Lord concerning the sin that Cain had just committed. Abel's life had been drained out of him as his blood was shed. And this is where we get this symbol of blood meaning life, that blood is a symbol of life. It actually gets further uh, into the whole narrative of the scriptures where the symbolism of the blood for life is confirmed when God speaks to Noah in Genesis 9 verse 4. He says, but you must not eat meat that has lifeblood still in it. And it's only because blood stands for life that it's able to make atonement for sin. And whenever blood was shed in any animal sacrifice, the blood stood for the life, and it was yielded up in death because of sin. So blood is important throughout the scriptures, and especially as we talk about atonement, And here, as we want to look forward, into the fulfillment of atonement. Despite all this, we've got to realize that the blood of animals like bulls and sheep and dove and goats, they're only symbolic of making atonement for man's sin. Hebrews 10.4 actually puts it this way. He says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Impossible to fully take away sin. And, And it's because these are only animals. They're not Men In reality, only the blood of a man can atone for man's sin. And all of these animal sacrifices were only intended to point to the coming sacrifice of the one man who could make sacrifice for all, and that's Jesus. It is his blood that has actually made full atonement for all of man's sin. And when he shed his blood at the cross of Calvary, our Lord Jesus fulfilled what was anticipated by every animal sacrifice that had ever been made in Israel. In in Hebrews 9.15, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of internal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And so by sacrificing himself, Jesus not only paid for the sins of all those who were under the Old Testament covenant, but also for those who are now under this New Testament covenant that was present. And so from now, from now, his sacrifice made complete atonement for all the sins that have already been committed and all the sins that will be committed. Hebrews 10, uh, 12 to 14 says, But when this high priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one sacrifice he had made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so, what a perfect and complete atonement that Jesus actually makes on our behalf. And and I believe that it stirs us, or at least it should stir us, uh, towards doing three things. And I want you to notice um, a series of let us in verses 22 to 24 of Hebrews 10. And so this is talking about our response to the atonement. Three parts that I think are kind of the directives that we have. And the first one would be this part of regarding God. Since Christ has now cleansed us of all our sins and opened up a way for us to enter into God's holiness, we must enter... In and enjoy that intimate, close relationship and fellowship with God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy a place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up to us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, hear that? sprinkled and cleanse us from all guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water and so as it relates to god and and in uh, our relationship with him our grounds for being bold to commune closely with god um, should always be nothing but the complete the completed atonement of christ for our sins in other words we we don't have any other grounds in terms of coming to god We we, we don't do anything good enough to be able to enter into the holiness of who God is, not of our efforts, not of our good deeds. These are not things that bring us into the presence of God and and allow us confidence in the presence of God. But Christ's atonement does. And so we're able to approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that the work is complete. It's also regarding ourselves. In verse 23, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And we got to cling tenaciously to the promises of God, especially when trials come along. And certainly, many of us are experiencing a variety of different kinds of trials. And so, when the pressures to conform to the world become incredibly strong for us, um, we got to hold on tenaciously to the promises that we have. If we are careless in holding fast to the profession of our faith and we take it lightly, then we are. Honestly, we're insulting the very blood that was shed for us. And I've never really thought about it that way before for myself. That when I don't hold on tightly to that sacrifice, to that truth, that I'm disrespecting it. I had never really thought of it that way before. We're insulting the very blood of Christ that bought us and um, regarding it as having little to no value. It is the idea of taking it for granted, is the idea of shoving it aside as if it didn't have any major significance, except that, all the way from the book of Genesis, it carries massive significance. Massive significance. That's kind of that internal thing that we gotta wrestle with. And then, as it relates to dealing with others, uh, the response to the atonement of Christ comes also in this corporate nature. So, again, Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together or some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Like if we try to live the Christian life on our own, isolated from other Christians, sound familiar? <laughs> We're going to grow cold and passive. We need to be connected to each other. We need each other's prodding. We need each other's encouragement to press forward. We need to keep each other going in this pilgrimage through the trials of faith. And so even now, I know that there are many people who are struggling with this physical separation that that we're being asked to follow. And I know it's hard. I really do. And to be honest with you, I'm experiencing the difficulty of that as well. I'm a very social person, I need those connection points. But sometimes I wonder if we're so worried about our gathering that we forget about our going. Can our community be so unified with one another that we're able to send encouragements to each other, that we're able to connect through a means by which the early church didn't even have available to it in terms of our online experiences together? Can we do that? Can we phone one another? Can we um, connect in other ways in this temporary time and spur one another on in the going? What would it look like for you to be spurred on towards love and good deeds? See, it, it tells us to gather together, but it tells us to gather together with a purpose, and that purpose is to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so, can I encourage you? Do something Do something good, and let people honor your Father who is in heaven because of it. I think that these are the three appropriate responses that we should have, that we enter into the throne room of God with confidence, that we um, remember not to take for granted and not to shove aside the seriousness of the atonement, the atoning work that Jesus did on our behalf, and that we are to gather together but from the perspective of being able to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. These are three excellent responses, and quite frankly, I think these are the three things that truly are foundational to what it means to be the church and to be a follower of Jesus. And so can I encourage you? Do it. Enter the throne room with confidence, knowing that the work that Jesus did is sufficient, it is complete, And there's nothing you bring to the table that gives you access to the the Father, but Jesus gives you full access to the Father. Can you take a look internally and say, how much value are you placing on that atoning work that he did? And and can you consider, when is the last time that you tried to spur someone on towards love and good deeds? And when is the last time someone spurred you on? And don't wait for someone to spur you on. Give someone a call. Say, hey, got this idea. Heard my neighbor is struggling right now. You want to help me? We'll gather together some some food and and, and we'll bring it to them and we'll, you know, like drop it on their doorstep, ring the doorbell and get out of Dodge. Like whatever it is you need to do, do something good and stop proclaiming being essential. Be essential. Be it. Because that's what the church has always been. And I truly believe that that is what the church will always be. Enter the throne room of God with confidence take serious the atoning sacrifice and work that he did for us and spur each other on towards love and good deeds. These seem like appropriate responses to the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. Blood is important. Blood represents life. And so when Jesus sheds his blood for all, he brings life to all who accept him and desire relationship with him. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I thank you that we're able to look at uh, the atonement and and look at what it means all throughout this line of understanding throughout the scriptures that that blood equals life and, and that when you shed your blood, you gave us life. And so, Jesus, I thank you so much for that. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to know that we can enter into the throne room with confidence. Lord, that we would evaluate where we're at with this understanding of of the sacrifice that you made for us and that we would take that seriously and we would honor you in it. And Lord, that we would, as we gather together, that our intention is to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Lord, may we be a people who are about love and good deeds as we honor you and as we praise you. In your name I pray. Amen.